Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Uh, joining us now, John Graham, Prairie Director of Government Relations at the Retail Council of Canada. John, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Um, listen, uh, I, I'm going to get to a question in a moment that uh, our Jeff Courier asked of Lauren Rimmelard at the Chamber earlier on his show. Uh, but first of all, uh, I know you were on the start this morning reacting to the Premier yesterday and say, him saying that he's got this gut feeling that these Code Red restrictions for retail might continue. And I can't remember the exact wording that Dr. Rusin used, but he was asked the question here today, uh, just in the past half hour or 45 minutes, and he didn't sound very optimistic either. I guess your reaction to that, and then if this is sort of how they're thinking it's going to go, wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't you want to know as a business person? Wouldn't you want to know that sooner, like ASAP, as opposed to waiting uh, until this three weeks runs out or close to it? Well, again, no question that there's a health crisis in this province, and the active cases, the uh, positivity rate, uh, deaths are, are too many, too much, and uh, uh, retailers are concerned about it. But you're precisely right. The uh, the, the lack of understanding of where things are going, how businesses can, retail stores can sustain themselves. Uh, the retail sector in this province is on life support. And uh, to hear uh, what's coming out of the Premier and uh, Dr. Rusin is very concerning for retailers that desperately need to have more sales than they're experiencing in stores this month. You know, I just had a listener text me uh, at uh, 204-780-6868, and it's interesting, some of these items that are popping up that aren't considered essential. Uh, for example, Sandy just told me she's not going to see her family at Christmas. She wants to send the family a Christmas card, but a Christmas card is a non-essential item. It, it seems like there's a lot of this uh, happening, eh? Well, it's it's the most complex rules in Canada, uh, and no doubt um, there's uh, the government's doing their very best to uh, uh, to lower cases and, and support better outcomes for this province. But it's uh, trying to understand as a retailer or as a customer what's essential, what's not, and those nuances that uh, uh, we're having to work our way through uh, have been extremely complicating and. Uh, uh, but overall, we just uh, we'd love to see an opportunity for stores to somehow open their their doors slightly, whether it's through appointments, through very low capacity, continue to keep safety in mind. But uh, if we keep status quo, if the if the current health order is simply rolled over on December twelfth, then we're going to see a lot of businesses roll over, not open in Janu- January. Any idea? Any senses? Can you put a number on how many might be teetering on the edge right now? Our understanding, and you know, we don't have science behind this, and we hope yeah. decisions like this are made with science, uh, uh, health orders in particular, but uh, our understanding is somewhere between 10 and 20% of retailers are uh, at a desperate stage of their financial life right now. The, this is a critical month. If you could have picked a worse month to open, <laughs> to, to shut stores, uh, it would have been this one. This is uh, uh, a critical time for stores to try to make the majority of their sales for the entire year uh, and to be closed uh, to, to, to walk-in customers or be limited on the, the millions of dollars in the aggregate that they have in stores right now that are considered non-essential, it's uh, going to be devastating. 
And here's my concern. You know, I, I am a lover of business. I have a real entrepreneurial spirit. I've always got a couple things going, uh, in that area in, in my life. And, and I feel bad for the businesses that are struggling right now. We are, though, in the middle of a pandemic. 14 Manitobans, uh, the announcement yeah. was made today. Another 14 Manitobans, uh, have died. There is a killer virus out there. No question about that. But here's what I'm worried about, John, beyond the businesses, um, that, may fail uh, if these code red uh, restrictions continue i worry about when we get the vaccines out there and things return to something closer to normal who's going to want to take a chance and open a business i worry about that long term yeah i wish we had the luxury of looking into the future right now we're desperate today and uh and for local brick and mortar stores to not be able to open uh, buy appointment for a customer, allow 10% capacity to be able to have that relationship with the customer today. Uh, tomorrow doesn't matter. Uh, that's uh, it's it's yeah. right now that uh, we need to be focused mm-hmm. on. And yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Uh, here's a question that Jeff Courier asked Lauren Remillard at the Winnipeg Chamber on his show earlier here on CJOB. Do uh, chamber uh, members and your members, I'm talking to you. So do your yeah. members feel like retail is being unfairly targeted? That was Jeff's question to Lauren, and I'm curious to hear your answer. What we know is that depending on the province that actually tracks this kind of data, Manitoba doesn't, but we know that uh, somewhere between 0. 0.02, so two of, uh, you know, uh, 0.2 of 1% uh, to up to about 1% of all cases uh, are linked to retail. It's not even a top 10 in any province. Uh, And so we get that this is part of changing behavior in an entire community, disrupting normal behavior, and uh, uh, retailers are committed to doing their part. But the the sacrifice of business uh, is, um, I don't believe that we we can sustain this much longer. We've got to find that right balance. Not, I'm not, Mm -hmm. again, I'm not arguing that we uh, reopen stores by any means. We're talking about a couple, you know, allow someone to come into a store by appointment, uh, uh, allow, you know, 10% of normal capacity in a store that can amply accommodate physical distancing. It's modest adjustments that can be a lifeline. And do you get the sense that those conversations are happening? I mean, your organization talks to government. Are, are those sorts of uh, discussions happening so that maybe when we hit December 11th or whatever that date is, I believe it's the 11th of December, when we hit that date, maybe some of the code red restrictions continue, but we're at a point where we see daily cases low enough that we can allow some of that stuff for retail because you know, it's it's a balancing act at the best of times, and and these arguably are the worst of times. Uh, the, the you know to to hear fourteen deaths today is is heartbreaking, and the number of active cases that are announced every day, uh, uh, we're no doubt we're in a crisis. Um, what uh, what we know is that all of the focus is on reducing those numbers and taking whatever uh, extraordinary steps need to be done to to do so. Uh, what we're arguing is that let's uh, let's just keep in mind if there's some safe way to allow retailers to continue to interact uh, as they're doing in some stores already, as they're doing uh, as they go through a drive-through of a restaurant, that uh, to be able to um, not sacrifice the economy completely uh, while we're focused on the number one goal of reducing cases. John, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. 
I appreciate it, Hal. Thanks so much. Joining us right now, Lisa Dutton, Global News TV anchor. You watch her every night on Global TV at 6 o'clock. Lisa, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How do you uh, stay so fit? You always oh look so God. healthy. What do you What do you do, uh, especially now during this pandemic? You know what? I, I had been going uh, to the gym, and mm-hmm. um, when they reopened, I happily went back, and I felt very comfortable, and where I go was doing a fabulous job of, right. of uh, taking care of everybody. But ra- right now, currently, I am doing no things. Wow. Yeah. See, for me, that doesn't work. If I, if I do no things, oh. it's not good. You know, we're trying to get out as much as we can, especially on the weekends, just walking with yeah. the kids. I've, I've run the dog ragged, I think. But uh-huh. um, no, right now, nothing. But the thing is, I hit the point where I can only do nothing for so long, you know, mm-hmm. so I think yeah. I need a plan. Yeah, and yeah. you know, Jackie and I have been uh, binging some shows that we've been talking about watching for a long time. But even mm-hmm. now, this has been eight or nine months of it, right? And and even mm-hmm. now, like we started one last night, we're like, ah, I don't know. We we just, I think we've all just kind of had enough of it. I I've had enough of these horrible numbers every day. Thankfully, mm-hmm. the new cases, if there, as I said, if there is a silver lining here, the new cases appear to be going down compared to. You know, 10 days ago, they were almost twice as many as the 277 today, but still 14 Manitobans, uh, uh, you know, are are dead today. And, and that's tragic. Every number is a human being. Uh, and uh, Dr. Rusin says that over and over again, but we need to be reminded of that and, and we need to remind people of that. The reason I wanted to have you on for a couple of minutes here is because we're going to have the education minister uh, mm-hmm. on. He's got a news conference, live news conference, at 3 o'clock, and we'll carry it live, Kelvin Gertson. And uh, on the news release that went out announcing this news conference, it says, ensuring safe schools. And I was wondering how you, your kids, how your boys are doing in school. You know what? I, I can only speak for, for myself, mm-hmm. our family, and my kids. Yeah. They're doing really great. And first and foremost, I just want to say, you know, they they both go to different schools. One's a a lot older than the other, but the schools have been doing a fabulous job. And I do, I feel so grateful every day that I walk my youngest to school. I see them all lining up outside. The fact that teachers have been able to sustain this consistency with this physical distancing and, you know, Mm -hmm. all of it, like the first week of school, I'm like, there's no way they're going to be able to do this all year, but they're doing it. And, you know, so far our kids have been healthy and happy and we see so much value in the routine and uh, the fact that they can connect with some of their peers every day because there are no other outlets for that Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Here, here's what I worry about, and we're starting, you know, that past week or 10 days, we're starting to hear this uh, Manitoba Teacher Society. Uh, they had that uh, uh, virtual town hall, and mm-hmm. over half of the teachers on that virtual town hall said they're considering changing careers or retiring. And I worry about burnout, not just stress, not just, you know, but burnout. That's beyond stress and, and all that kind of stuff. And we see it with frontline workers, and I've got a story I'm going to share later on if I have time on stress burnout with frontline workers i worry about that with the teachers i don't really worry so i mean we worry about the kids don't get me wrong yeah but uh, uh, but i think we we say they're resilient and and there's a limit to that as well but i i worry about burnout with the teachers and and i almost feel we'll see what gertson says coming up here at three but i almost feel like we need to come up with something whether it's a longer break or we break earlier or something to give teachers especially 
a break. But then, you know, there's working parents, and mm-hmm. it impacts them. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a real balancing act, like so many things now during this pandemic. It is. And, you know, you, you talk about the teacher's energy and the, and the teachers being drained. And, and I do have to say, you know, from what I see as, as a parent looking in, they are doing such a good job of maintaining mm-hmm. that, you know, that positivity and that enthusiasm. And while we do hear, you know, about 50% of the teachers at a town hall saying they're ready to throw in a t- in the towel, you know, I follow a lot of our local teachers on Twitter that are posting incredible, innovative, forward-thinking things that they're doing every day with these kids to keep them healthy and moving and learning. And so I do think that there's a lot of really great work being done. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm first to say I appreciate it. So this press conference is at three o'clock. And mm-hmm. the big hint that came down earlier this week was from Minister Kelvin Gertzen on Monday when he said, this likely isn't going to look like just an extension of Christmas break. It's going to be, um, you know, more likely bringing in a, a period of remote learning again. So mm-hmm. it's not just going to be, you know, kids sitting around for an additional yeah. couple weeks. What it sounds like, um, what he's hinted at, is that it's going to be, um, you know, a period of break. That was the, mm-hmm. the original uh, scheduled Christmas break. But then there may be, we'll wait and see at three o'clock, uh, a period of remote learning. And it, it does. It becomes really challenging um, for parents who are required to be at work because many of us are. And yep. um, you do, you really feel, I know back in the spring, I really felt like I like I fell short in terms of, you know, um, homeschooling and in the <laughs> yeah. office. You know, you just, you feel so torn all the time. It's, it's really tricky. Well, you're not doing either well, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's how I feel sometimes when I've got too many balls I'm juggling. Yeah, they're all in the air, but you're not doing a very good, you're not a very good juggler. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, people, that, that term multitasking, I've, I've always sort of had trouble with it. Some people, you know, say, oh, I'm great at multitasking. I, I guess I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're really truly ever doing two things at once. You're doing one thing at a time. So um, this day, you know, since uh, this morning when this news came down that he was going to be holding the press conference at three, I've had just that butterfly gut feeling. Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness, what's to come? It's it's yeah. it's day to day. But every day that that we've had in the classroom, um, we've definitely been grateful for and appreciative of, of all the hard work that the teachers are putting in. Let's get to Cam's Creepy Corner here. We'll start with uh, Alistair Crowley. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've heard the name. I had to look him up. He's he's a British occultist, I guess. He's a magician as well. Uh, but he's long gone, right? Oh, yeah. He, he's, yeah. he's passed away for a while. And, and I went down the Alistair Crowley rabbit hole. I don't know. It was about five years ago when I had nothing else to do. And mm-hmm. it's crazy. Um, obviously, we can't get into all that today. But yeah, yeah. Uh, he founded this religion called uh, Thelema. He was a prophet of that. Um, he he was entrusted with guiding humanity into the uh, Aeon of Horus, uh, which, of course, was an Egyptian uh, god. Uh, it's a very twisted, uh, I would even say perverse person, but uh, interesting nonetheless. Hmm. So, anyways, he owned this house uh, called the Boleskine House, and it was in Scotland. Um, and he, he was conducted all kinds of black magic uh, rituals. Actually, uh, Jimmy Page, guitarist of Led Zeppelin, ended up buying the house. I'll get into that in, in, in just a second here. But hmm. uh, there was this mysterious box that was found under under the floorboards. And anything that's got Aleister Crowley's name attached to this, he lived in the house up until 1933. It, it, it gains attention, especially from people that are into this sort of thing. So right. this, uh, this guy, Rick Spencer, um, from uh, the U.K., he wanted it in an auction. It was underneath the floorboards of the house. 
Um, and so what he does is he, he, he opens the box. He surrounds it with salt uh, because of the black magic connections. And he, yeah. he opens up the lid. There's this doll and, and some coins and a pencil sketch of this really scary looking um, sort of demon, I guess you would call it. Uh, it it's known as a, as a, a Dybbuk box. Do you know about that? A sort of yes. A, yes. But now, aren't these boxes? So wouldn't this be? Wouldn't this box then, if you believe this stuff, wouldn't the box be used to contain this yes. demon? Likely. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So uh, right. if you don't know what a Dybbuk box is, it's it's Jewish mythology. It's a, of a malicious, re- relentless spirit. It's, it's basically something that can b- possess you in the living. Mm-hmm. So. On the on on this box and on this piece of paper was the sketch of, of this of this demon, and and I can read a little bit of Hebrew. I don't mean to I don't mean to brag, but I can read a little bit. And it actually says in Hebrew on it, "Be careful." No kidding. Um, and it has the name Baal <laughs> written on it. Oh. And if anybody knows about Baal, he was an important Canaanite god uh, in the in the Hebrew Bible, portrayed as as, pri- as the primary enemy of the Hebrew god Yahweh, which is God we know today. And uh, I'll just read a little bit of the Bible here from Kings uh, one uh, from Kings one eighteen, uh, record of a contest it chose between uh, the prophet Elijah and the Jezebel uh, priests. Uh, both sides offer a sacrifice to their respective gods. Baal failed to light his followers' sacrifice, while Yahweh's heavenly fire burnt uh, Elijah's altar to ashes. And basically, um, uh, observers then followed Elijah's instructions. To, what they did was then they slayed all the priests of Baal, and this this is in the Bible. <laughs> um, and this was on this box, and in this there was a sketch of Baal, or yeah. a demon, and it said, be careful, written in Hebrew on it, so I don't uh, Okay, so let me. So you're, and you're a history nut, and that's why you yeah. love the history. Yeah. But what happened? You opened the box, and did anything happen? Nothing happened. No, it, like oh um, my gosh. So uh, yeah, nothing happened of this. But this guy quickly closes the box, and he kind of, you know, kind of puts it away and stuff like that. But like this stuff freaks me out, and I, yeah, I, I would totally believe this kind of stuff. And, and like, especially when you you open it up, and you know, you know, it's got the photo in, like the, oh. the sketch in there, stuff. And I translated the Hebrew myself. I said, well, yeah. I know, I read that, and then I put it in. Oh, be careful! And I went, oh, why would my. you? Oh even God. want that damn thing i i i'm nervous picking up antiques and vintage stuff because i worry about who had it or well anyhow yeah uh, i you, you won't catch me and you can buy those what they claim to be those boxes yeah. online right like people auction them off and yeah. stuff no nope, I, I would i would run so jimmy yeah exactly that's why he surrounds it in the salt to kind of protect it so jimmy mm-hmm. page actually owns this house or had owned it and yeah. he gave it to a friend of his name malcolm dent uh, who wasn't a believer in in the paranormal, but then he started, and this was in this Boleskine house that that um, that Alistair Crowley owned. After a few weeks, he started hearing rumblings in the hallways that stopped when he investigated. And and here here's the story. Also in this house, uh, Dent recalls an experience, the most terrifying night of his life. He awoke one night to what sounded like a wild animal snorting and banging outside his bedroom door. <laughs> It went on for some time, and not until morning that Dent dared open the door. He hid under his covers all night, and he said, I don't know what it was, but it was pure evil. And wow. uh, his, uh, a friend of his also stayed the night one time and was attacked in the middle of the night by what was described as some kind of devil. Jeez. You just don't mess around with this kind of stuff, Hal. No like, kidding. Uh, well, and, and, and I'll tell you, another time I'll tell the story, because this is Cam's Creepy yeah. Corner, so I want to focus go, on no, what, go you've ahead. Got, what you've got planned. But I'll just quickly tell you this. You know, I say, why would you want that house? But I have, over the many, over many years, I have bought, fixed, and sold many houses. And I can tell you, more times than not, when I purchased a house, I was, for, for whatever reason, I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. I was drawn to it, and then after I bought it, I would find out there was a real history, like an interesting, sometimes 
deadly history. So I believe in all that, you know, drawn to and all that kind of stuff. Anyhow, that's for another time. I want to hear about this next one because when I read this headline, I thought, man, this is like a great old Art Bell show. <laughs> yeah. The time the time a Nazi medium was taught how to build a spaceship by aliens. Yes, okay, so we got to go back to 1919 Munich, a woman named Maria Osicic, uh, I, I think I'm pronouncing that right. She was Croatian. So I'm definitely not pronouncing it right. But anyway, she had this ability of a medium. And if you look up a picture of her, I, I, she's just drop-dead gorgeous. But uh, she was reportedly able to get into this deep trance. Eyes would roll back. She'd start writing an ancient um, uh, Sumerian script and, and this sort of thing. And she had no idea what this Sumerian script was. So anyways, there's this organization that came out of after World War One in Germany called the Thule Society. Um, and there was sort of this other off-branch of it called the Vril Society, um, and what they, the belief of this was that, and, and this is what this uh, Orsich woman, uh, she would transmit some of these, uh, these sort of interdimensional sort of um, uh, transmissions from these aliens that supposedly lived on Earth over f- uh, 500 million years ago. Um, and so apparently she went into one of these trances and started jotting down the Sumerian text that was then translated afterwards. And one of the head members of the Nazi party at the time, Rudolf Hess, who, if you, if you know your history, he, yep. he was the one who parachuted right. into the Scottish castle to try to uh, cut a deal with England and stuff like that. And he died in the eighties in a, in a castle, uh, Rudolf Hess, but he was one of Hitler's uh, main guys. And so anyways, apparently the Nazis were then trying to sort of jump on to this sort of thing. They created this Munich device that was a apparently able to travel back and forth between uh, dimensional leaps and stuff like that. Um, but this Vril Society, they saw what was going on uh, with the Nazis, and they, they kind of dialed it back, and they actually destroyed it uh, mm. before it fell into the hands of the Third Reich. But, uh, yeah, the Nazis very, very interested in it. And I think there's more information coming out about them being interested in interdimensional travel for sure. There's been um, lots of stories about the Nazis getting their hands on weird technology yeah. in lots of strange different ways, right? And yeah. aliens, you know, and again, a side note, and, and Art Bell fans out there would know this from his many shows, but, you know, a lot of people believe the aliens and UFOs are from other dimensions. That's mm-hmm. why they can appear and disappear so quickly. And then others believe it's us in the future, right? That we're yeah. just coming back in time to visit. Anyhow, it's, yeah. this, you and I could talk about, yes. you and I are, are two peas in a pod when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. We could talk about this crazy stuff forever. Can I skip, and you've got a few other things yes. here, but can I skip down to the monolith? I want to ask you about the monolith. This piece of metal, where did it show up? It showed up in the state somewhere in a, in a desert, right? And then it disappeared, and then it was in Romania, and now it's gone again? Yes. Uh, so what it was was this. It was, you've seen 2001 of Space Odyssey, yep. obviously. Okay. Right. So there's that famous scene in the beginning, the big monolith, the, the you know, the humans and whatever, uh, yeah. or ancient humans, whatever, around around this, this sort of monolith, and they find another one later in, in the show on the moon. So anyways, I, it's... This one in Utah was, it's, they're trying to figure out when it was placed there. Uh, they think it's been there for a while, but really hadn't gained or gone viral in, until recently. It recently was removed, and a three-sided one has been spotted in Romania, uh, and now that one has since disappeared. But this one in Romania wasn't identical. It was kind of three-sided, and it looked like it was very poorly uh, welded. 
Um, mm. So, and they're kind of tying it to some sort of uh, to a farmer or a welder in the Weird. area that that kind of put this thing down. But uh, so I'm seems getting like my monolith. Yeah. I'm I'm getting my monoliths confused. And there's multiple monoliths here. Then <laughs> yeah. I guess. Eh? I think this one okay. is a cut and dry uh, copycat. I think this is totally set up. Somebody's think, planning it to uh, get totally. everybody talking. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just saw this. Ripley's is offering ten thousand dollars a reward, ten thousand dollar reward for this missing monolith oh sorry it was i think i said arizona or nevada it was in utah, utah yes and they're now offering ten thousand uh, dollars for this thing that's where i if you, if you yeah. got it in your garage cash in sure i would pay 10 grand to not have to talk about a monolith again, <laughs> actually uh, i, I just curious at all. i had to bring it up today uh no i'm, yeah, I'm glad was... you did because i've been watching the story it's kind of a weird interesting story but i agree it's one of those things where obviously somebody is planting these things to get everybody talking yes yeah. i totally agree all right cam thank you cam's creepy corner we do it uh, every wednesday right after the 2 30 news and you can find them on twitter creepy corner cam at creepy corner cam on twitter wednesdays after the 2 30 news cam poitras producer cam and cam's creepy corner Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.